Thank you for joining me for another edition of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Johnny Foster. This is our first week looking into some of our spookier titles leading up to Halloween. Today I'm joined by the co-authors of Michigan Haunts, Public Places, Eerie Spaces, John Milan and Gail Alton. This book is a bit different from the other titles they have worked on together, such as Grand River Avenue, iconic restaurants of Ann Arbor. This book, Michigan Haunts, is filled with images from Michigan's haunted places, which encourages, if you're brave enough, a ghost-filled road trip. John and Gail, thanks for joining me. This book is a little bit different than your other books, like Grand River Avenue and iconic restaurants of Ann Arbor, which we were talking about before we started recording. So, two questions how did the two of you meet to team up on history books and why did you decide to do a haunted book? Well, we, we teamed up because we felt like there was a lot of stories that could be told. John had written a couple of books and I'm a writer and we decided that we were better together to tell stories. We love to travel around Michigan and hear stories from people and then tell them. So as far as this book goes, we really wanted to write a unique book about Michigan that, you know, hadn't been done before. This is actually the first book we've seen that is uh, almost entirely public places in Michigan that have haunted stories and legends. Most of the books you see are about hauntings in private homes or people telling stories. But this one is really a travel book. It's sort of what we call a sneaky travel book to get people to travel all throughout Michigan, upper and lower peninsula, and see a lot of these places. I think, too, it's important to say that we found that we bring a different aspect to the table, uh, which which kind of works together very well. I tend to bring a lot of the, the historical depth, and, and Gail brings a lot of the social aspect of it. Like the Ann Arbor restaurant, she bring the food, and, and it's, it's always interesting that way. It's a good partnership. Yeah, so what what was the... Uh, process of picking out which sites to put into this book. And I've never really seen a ghost book like this before because it's kind of, it's under our Arcadia imprint. And, you know, everybody knows the Arcadia has, you know, image history books. And it's really well done and it's really neat to see and a lot of information. And it leaves, the descriptions are really well done, but it also leaves you wanting a little bit more. And I think that's that hook to get them to go out and see these places themselves. Right. Exactly. So we want people to keep this in their glove compartment. And then if they're in a city, they can say, I wonder if there's any haunted things there. In fact, we've since the book even went into production, so many people have told us stories. We're hoping to do a sequel. But, you know, that's that's down the line. But we want to be careful so people realize we're not ghost hunters. OK, but that's important because nobody that reads this book needs to be a ghost hunter. You don't need to be one of those people that have one of those weird microphones and have things that light up. We're just people that like stories and legends and this you can just you don't have to be a person who believes you could be a skeptic it's just a great excuse to travel around michigan and go to some of these places you know that's a great point and that's something i have brought up in podcasts in the past and that's something that i'm probably going to bring up a lot this coming month is that the best way to get to know a site best best way to get to know an area is to learn the local folklore and history because there's always truth behind that story. It might not be that exact ghost story, but it lets you learn right. why that story exactly. is told. 
And yeah. we find that parents have come up to a parent. This is the first book that we've written where people bring are bringing their kids to our talks, which is interesting because kids love haunted stories. And hey, if that gets your kid to be interested in history, man, that's a win-win. So we think that's why we call it a sneaky history book, because if this is how kids want to learn about Michigan through haunted legends, more power to them. Exactly. Right. If this is going to be a great tool to just go out and learn, I mean, it's that's a beautiful thing uh, to go out with your kids. And I remember I'm hooked on history because of my parents taking us to all these really neat historical places. And luckily, I got to grow up with a dad who was in the antique business, so I got to hold history growing up. But a lot uh -huh. of kids had that chance. Wow. Yeah, John actually is in the antique business. He's uh, right. He uh, sells uh, sheet music and jazz records and piano rolls are his specialty. Oh, okay. Hey, we probably need to talk off air a little bit later about some stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know, why he knows a lot about history as well through his antiques business. But you asked about the criteria, and I think uh, that was a very important part of our development of the book. We wanted to make sure that these were public places mm. that everyone could visit. Uh, we wanted to make sure the stories, you know, resonated uh, that, you know, as Gail said, they were historical. Uh, they might have to do with the Underground Railroad. They might have to do with uh, battles or uh, things like that. And uh, but in more than anything, they needed to to span the regional aspects of, of Michigan. You had to be all over the state, and they had to be places you can visit yourself. They couldn't be someone's private home. Yeah, and a lot of the sites and stories you hear about, and there's museums that we have in our books too, but they'll say, you know, on Pine Street, this such and such address, this foreboding-looking yeah. Victorian mansion. <laughs> and you're like, well, We didn't want okay. the book to be dry. <laughs> That's the thing about so many history books, unfortunately, are very cut and dried and they're just the facts. We wanted to make this fun and even funny. You can see we had a lot of fun with our captions, a lot of bad puns, but we want people to read this book like a real book, not just to find it dry. Right. Yeah, and it is fun. You definitely achieve that, trust me. So, John, in the introduction, <laughs> you write about a haunting that occurred on the second floor of a 20-zero duplex you owned. Yes, that was uh, that was my first encounter with anything uh, that I would call paranormal. Yes, <laughs> and I don't want to give away what happened, obviously, in the book because we want people to read that. But yeah. has anything happened? Have you heard any other owners have any issues with the place? Well, that's a good question, and people ask me that a lot. But you know, at the time, I lived there about five years. And um, and I got used to living with that. It was like, OK, this place is obviously actively haunted. Um, but it was also how I met the fellow who wrote the foreword, uh, who wrote several books on haunted places. But uh, after I left there, uh, I I didn't have contact with the people who bought it. So I wonder that myself. And I and I have a feeling uh that some of the hauntings have been going on. And I wonder, you know, it was a long time ago. I wonder if you have to list that on Zillow now where it's haunted, if that's one of the features you have to list. And yeah, because some places, you, as a law, you have to tell that the truth if you think it's haunted or not. If someone's oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Might be wrong about that. Might have been a step out on Johnny's part. I'm not sure. Uh, but wow. I think that's the case. At least you have to tell people if someone had died in the house. 
But that makes another interesting point. Some of the places we go to are proud of their haunted legends and actually use it to attract people. Some of the restaurants we go to, they even give handouts about how haunted their places are. But there's other places we investigated that don't want to talk about it. They're embarrassed or whatever. We have a whole chapter on Greenfield Village, which is a history village that Henry Ford started. And they don't like to talk about the haunted part of it at all. They just want to talk about the history. So it really varies how, uh, you know, honest people are about it. Yeah, you know, I can see that, too, because here in town, I used to be a tour guide at Drayton Hall, uh, oh. which began being built uh, in 1738. And so, there, of course, there's going to be some ghost stories associated with it. But, you know, I can't talk about from, like, if you own a restaurant or something of that nature. But if you're giving a 45-minute to an hour tour, there's not really a lot of time until the really the end for questions. So if you keep get, getting bombarded with ghost questions, you know, it's one of those things that I always ask people to save for after the tour. Because, yeah, we do have some stories here, but it, I'm trying true. to get through going through all these rooms in the house first. So, yeah. you know, it's not a way to be rude or anything. It's to make sure that everybody has the most enjoyable experience. But if it's a whole park like that, I mean, I can only imagine at Halloween what they could do to bring in some money. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're trying to get through all your dates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been to gatherings where we've asked about it and they just completely shut us down. They don't want to talk about it at all. And other places, like Gail said, they'll, they'll have handouts. They want to talk about the Right. Place. They put it on one of the places, the Whitney, which is this incredible mansion in downtown Detroit. It was a lumber baron mansion. It was the first elevator in a private home in Detroit. They have a fourth floor. It's called the Ghost Bar. They actually call it the Ghost Bar, and they have drinks named after some of the ghosts that are in the place itself. So they embrace it. Yeah. People go and buy spirits at the Ghost Bar. Oh, exactly. Thank you. I'll go along with the puns you guys have. Well, Gail, have you ever experienced anything? I have not. I've, um, as I'm a former advertising uh, creative director, I've experienced some scary clients, but never, (laughs) never anything really uh, supernatural. But I'm still hoping I'm going to have my first haunting soon. If you keep looking, you're probably going to find something. And that's, yeah, I'm, I'm not a skeptic. I'm open to it. So I'm waiting. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it, it, I want to be open to it, but I don't want to be too open to it because, you know, down here in the <laughs> South, you you know about haints, so you don't want to have one attach itself to you or anything. So. Oh, yeah, wow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, I mean, people used funny. to say my parents' house was haunted because of all the antiques. We had one friend who always claimed to see shadow people, but I mean, I never saw anything, but he might have. You never huh. know. You wow. never do. Yeah, it's interesting. But uh, it's funny. People uh, people say some people are sensitive to it and others aren't. You know, I uh, uh, people ask us all the time about different things, and you know what? It's it's a great way to break the ice. People come to see the presentations and they just enjoy it, and they might bring us pictures and so forth. Yeah, this is a, this book might be an opening for you know you to have more people tell you stuff like you said already that you didn't know before, but then also those type of images to put in with the book. So you might have a picture of the place from the outside and then a picture from the inside with you know, an orb or something. And, you know, that's been our experience with our other Arcadia books. That's why we keep doing them is every book we've written, we when we go out and do these presentations, and we've now done hundreds of these with all of our books, people tell us stories during and after, and we incorporate some of the more interesting ones into our next presentation. We actually collect these stories and tell them to other people. So that's what we think is wonderful 
is to learn, get to know places, get to know history through some other people's stories. Yeah, we and see through somebody else's eyes that way also. Yeah. Right. We also mention if these places have been uh, investigated by paranormal groups uh, and uh, in hopes that uh, they will share their stories and so forth. So. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not professionals. Right. <laughs> At least in that. We want people to know that. They are, they are offering no spiritual legal advice of any type. This oh, is exactly. <laughs> you come to our house because we hear something up in the attic, and I'm like, you probably should call animal control because it's probably a <laughs> So we're not making house calls. You go up in the attic and get rabies. It's a really bad deal. It's a horrible yeah. deal. So one chapter, you know, people love lighthouses you can go into the middle of the desert and walk into somebody's house and they're going to have some type of lighthouse at their de in their desert house <laughs> which makes no sense people love lighthouses and they are great structures you know we have a couple of lighthouses down here we love and i know there's lighthouses all spread throughout the great lakes so a couple of questions what do you think is people's love affair with lighthouses but also why do lighthouses, lightkeeper stations, ships seem to be such a big place for hauntings? Because I see a lot of stories about, you know, ghosts on ships or ghosts in lighthouses. Well, I think it's a there's a romantic aspect of it, and there's a you know you know uh, there are more lighthouses in Michigan than in any other state in America, and uh, I think we have about 110, and. Uh, the idea that these are sentinels that, you know, the lights are trying to save these lives out in the Great Lakes. Uh, there's a fascination with that and the people that are dedicated to spending their life in these and, and making sure that there's a, a safe haven for people. I think that kind of arrests our, our romantic imagination. But so many of these lighthouses do have the legends of of having, you know, uh, ghosts that remain people that remain there to try to save lives the people that die at sea or at, you know, obviously not at sea but in the lakes uh, it just uh, it just lends itself to that you know uh, there's so many ghost ships in michigan you know that uh, you know allegedly appear in the fog and so forth so kids especially love to hear about those because they like the idea that they could be out on lake michigan and see a ghost ship going by so it's 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 a wonderful fantasy for kids, especially who like pirates and things like that. But lighthouses, you know, it's funny you say that because somebody, obviously there's an Arcadia book that's all about haunted lighthouses right. in Michigan. And everyone that we've investigated seems to have some story about their keeper, that they still smell his cigar smoke, or they still hear the screams of somebody. They all seem to have haunted legends. Yeah, and especially the you mentioned the tobacco smell. Uh, that that is something that seems to be all across America in lighthouses. Well, where you have the need for a lighthouse that you smell that yeah. tobacco smell. Yeah, and there's one called Sulshua. It's a very remote part of the Upper Peninsula, a very rugged place called Sulshua because it was the only choice for ships. It was so rocky there. And there's this wonderful Captain Willie Townsend. We'd love to show his picture. And people still smell cigar smoke very strongly in there. And we love the fact that he rearranges the um, silverware because he was English. He rearranges where the fork should be. And the other amazing thing is that people have seen him in his peacoat walking around the property and they think he's a guide and they go up to him and he sort of disappears or somewhere 
and they that there there's been sightings of him on the property. So that has a lot of different aspects of haunting on that particular lighthouse. And did this captain have a tragic end to his life, or was there a reason why he? Is it just because he worked so long at that light, or is it because? Nice. Died while serving yes. the lighthouse. Yes, and it's not always tragic. It's maybe people don't want to leave places. Mm-hmm. For example, we have this wonderful theater called the State Theater up in Bay City, Michigan, the sort of the central part of Michigan. And there's this uh, manager there named Floyd who loved the theater so much. He was shot in a robbery. Well, there's a seat that people see him in, and they leave that seat with his name on it uh, in case he wants to sit in there. It's Floyd's seat. And so that he was right near where the office was. He used to go sit there and watch and then go back in his office. So we love things like that. Floyd's seat in the middle of the balcony of this theater in Bay City. So how many of these ghost stories did you know going into it? And were there any places where you just knew you had to go to to get in the book that you wanted to especially get in the book? I think there was a little of both. I mean, we, we've all grown up with certain legends that are very famous, and and we've heard things through the grapevine, um, but then there were things that we learned later and said, oh, my God, we got to look into like that. Like the Paulding Lights. The Paulding Lights, which, by the way, is the only uh, paranormal site in Michigan that's actually recognized by the by the Park Service. You know, they've, they've got signs there, you know, or people – gather on the road to watch the Paulding lights and no one has ever figured those out yet. Uh, Ripley's believe it or not offered a hundred thousand dollars to figure out what they were. And so we always tell people it's still that hundred grand still out there. If you want to prove it, <laughs> let's all get in the car and go there and see if we can figure it out. It's, it's fascinating. Let us know when you're coming up. Okay. The other thing we felt we really wanted want to do for that hundred K that sounds pretty I good. Know, <laughs> was Houdini because Houdini had such a connection to Detroit. He came, he appeared there many times, but Houdini died on Halloween of 1926 in Grace hospital. And so we even have a whole chapter. We call the Houdini trail, all the different places he appeared. He jumped off a famous bridge into icy water, just like you saw in the movie with Tony Curtis. And then, you know, there's, so many aspects, plus the fact that his wife came back for 10 years and held seances to try and reach Houdini, and she never was able to, but she kept coming back to Detroit. So people still come from all over the world to see if they can connect to Houdini in Detroit. They're still holding seances here, actually. Every Halloween? Yes. Yes. Wow, where do they hold those seances at? Well, I know they did one in the right near the theater where uh, he used to perform. Uh, Most of them are in Detroit. But they also, we all, you know, uh, in Colon, Michigan, which is the magic capital of the world, they have seances there too. I had no idea y'all had the magic capital of the world. That's pretty cool. Just unfortunately named Colon, Michigan. But uh, (laughs) it really is people, all the famous magicians. There's a museum there and... Uh, the magicians come from all over there to gather. So, okay. a lot of sorry, go buried ahead. There. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I said a lot of those magicians are buried there, but not Houdini. Okay. Where is Houdini buried? Do you happen to know off the top of your head? He's in Long Island. Oh, Long yeah. Island. Okay, cool. Well, we talked about ghosts, but in researching the ghost stories, it sounds like maybe things with Houdini and things of that nature, but what other things just about history did you happen to come upon that you were just surprised about? Well, 
one of the fascinating things, one of the oldest legends in Detroit is the legend of the Red Dwarf. And Gail discovered that uh, they're having an annual parade. Yeah, it's called the Nain Rouge, and it was this, it's the oldest legend in Detroit. It, in um, Antoine Cadillac, who had a car named after him later, but he was the founder of Detroit. In the 1700s, he saw this little red dwarf with fiery eyes and fierce teeth, and he hit it with his cane. Um, and it, apparently this little dwarf cursed Cadillac, and every time there was some kind of disruption in Detroit, there's been sightings of this red dwarf, this name, it's called the Nain Rouge. So the 1805 fire of Detroit, they, somebody saw the dwarf. Um, any kind of troubles that happened in Detroit, it's even the, in, in the um, 60s, the, the riots in Detroit, there were people spotted him. So whenever anything bad happens, people spot that thing. Well, they've started to have a parade about 10 years ago. It's almost like a Mardi Gras parade, almost to drive this dwarf out. They have this parade with, you know, floats and signs and a lot of music. And it happens in the spring and they hold up. So that's a very interesting aspect that's not in a specific place, but that that it's celebrated and that this legend has been around for um, 300, 300 years. years. John yeah. just did the math on that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the <laughs> oldest legend in Detroit. So we found that. that Learning about that was fascinating. I never, I know obviously who Cadillac is, but I never knew anything about the Red Dwarf. And I know there's a whole festival that goes on. That's And then there's aspects of Detroit. For example, there's this incredible apartment building that's abandoned called the Alhambra. And we did research on what happened there. It was a beautiful apartment building. In fact, Harvey Firestone had the entire top floor. It was very fancy. There was a cook there named Rose Barron who uh, was demoted to a scrub woman. And she cooked up a batch of biscuits with arsenic in them and, and fed them to people in the apartment buildings. And several of them died. Well, it was the trial of the century in Detroit. It was in 1905. We did research and found all these news articles with it was like everybody it was like the oj trial everybody was following this trial and it was sensational all over the country and she had an incredible lawyer she was acquitted of poisoning which seems incredible and then a few weeks months or sometime later they found that her father-in-law died of arsenic poisoning so um whoops yeah so we we talk about that was surprise you know you drive by these buildings and you realize when you do a little research, you find that there's this incredible history that very few people knew about. Right. There's a lot of stories in these buildings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it tells a story of the town, too. Because, like you guys said earlier, everybody knows these local legends. And... There's even went to the oldest dive bar in Michigan. Do you want to, the, the place called the Two Way Inn? Right. <laughs> the Two Way Inn, which. Uh was the center of a, a village that no longer exists. And the man who settled it is apparently haunting this beautiful old tavern there. And they've seen him and he's appeared there. And there's all kinds of crazy stories. Uh, it was built in 1876 and it's been continuously operating since then. And the owner lives there. And he was a Civil War soldier who we did more research on him, and he turned out to be a spy. He had his horse shot from under him. We found all these great stories about him, and he protects the bar. He walks through there, right? Yeah, and his daughter, too. And uh, they have all kinds of hilarious uh, antics going on there. Well, that's another place. Okay, so we need to go look for the lights. 
and we need to get a drink at this dive bar. Yeah, this dive bar in Michigan. Parts of people have lived in Detroit their whole life. They've never even heard of this bar. It's like in the deepest parts of Detroit that hardly people. It's in a very obscure neighborhood. It's like a little neighborhood bar called the Two Way Inn on Nevada right. Street. But I think that's a great aspect of the book is we're introducing people to businesses or little towns they've never heard of. Dowagiac, Michigan, you know, people just don't know that, but there's just wonderful places to visit out there that no one's ever realized were there, you know. Yeah, if anything else, it'll help you know your state better. And that's when we can have a little bit of fun and learn your state. We also love a diversity of ghosts. It ranges from, for example, in Howell, near out where I live, the Howell Theater, a circus animal, a circus lion died near there. And so they see, they occasionally see and hear a lot ghost of a lion going through the theater. So there's a ghost who, you know, it's an animal. Or we nearby in this winery, little kids live there, and they sometimes see these kids going up and down the stairs. Or in Greenfield Village, this historical village, uh, Sally Firestone, the daughter of Harvey Firestone, uh, is notorious for drinking coffee. From the guides that are stationed in those buildings, they'll have a cup of coffee and they'll turn around and the coffee's gone. So there's a, a coffee-loving ghost. So we love talking about all kinds of different, whether they're animals, children, you know, different aspects, old soldiers, Native Americans. There's a, such a diversity of ghosts out there, lighthouse keepers. And Gail brings up a great point with Sally Firestone. So many of these uh, people who are living in these places or work there are very fond of these ghosts. They love the fact that they're there. They've come to accept them and enjoy their presence. Uh, the people at the 2 a.m. would never want someone to say, get rid of your ghosts. They love their right, ghosts. Right, right. Yeah. So the ghosts are almost <laughs> family in a way for these. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, there's some sanitariums and asylums where maybe there was a lot of trauma going on. And as you know, that you would expect them to have that kind of aspect of it. In fact, out um, there's in Howell, Michigan, there was a sanitarium that was leveled and a housing development went in there. And of course, just like the movie Poltergeist, a lot of people that live there, because it was built over the sanitarium, there's been, you know, reported of hauntings and seeing people there, perhaps former patients in the asylums. So we have a chapter all about that with orphanages and schools where unfortunately there were a lot of trauma and some of the people never left. Oh, wow. I thought when you said it was like the poltergeist, maybe they built houses over the graveyard too, and there was a scene in the swimming pool where people were saying, you didn't well, move the bodies, you know. So. There was a graveyard. I think there was a graveyard near there. Now, John lived near a place called Eloise. Right. That um, had a lot of uh, a, a lot of graveyard action. Famous there. mental hospital, and uh, and the, there's more than 7,000 unmarked graves in the grave. They're marked, but they're just by numbers. They don't know who these people were. They were unclaimed uh, dead. Uh, and, of course, that's rife for haunting, right? There's a whole Arcadia book just on Eloise, so right. that's uh, something else that people can take a look at. And we have a rather bizarre battlefield that occurred during the War of 1812 where the bodies of the dead were never, they could never retrieve them uh, because, you know, there was the danger of violence. And eventually, all the dead sank into the swamp, and they're still there. So, you, you know, talk about the, the holy grail of hauntings. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and just from an archaeological standpoint, does anything ever come up? Any, you know, any maybe flintlock 
you know, metal pieces of flintlock or anything of that nature. This is at where River Raisin, uh, which is near Monroe, uh, during the War of 1812, and yes, they have found a number of things, and now it's actually our newest uh, national park in Michigan. Uh, there's a big interpretive center there where you can see a lot of the things they've found oh, that wow. have come up. Yeah. So, again, we like to promote that and have people come and visit, you know. Even in our uh, Detroit Institute of Arts, which is a world-class art museum, there's a African figure that has nails in it, and people have observed it's a 19th century nail figure and people have been at night. Some of the guards have observed the figure running around and causing noise and all kinds of things with crashes. So even an art museum can have a haunting. Did they, is there a background story to why that might be haunted? Well, it's considered a sacred figure and mm. people would pop the nails in there if they wanted to have a favor or something to curry favor with the gods. And uh, that's just something that it's a really beloved figure in the Detroit Museum. And that just happens to be something that people have seen some haunted aspects about. Yeah, it, it goes back to a tradition in, you know, uh, tribal lore in, in Africa. So uh, there's a lot of mystery surrounding that figure itself. But then to make it better with the asylums, there's this wonderful place up in Traverse City, Michigan, which is a beautiful part of northern Michigan. A lot of tourists come there. It's on Lake Michigan. And they have a former asylum up there that now is an incredible, like, upper uh, – it's like this wonderful restaurant and shops and things like that. So they've taken the asylum and actually turned it into, a, you know, a, a place that people want to visit. Yeah. And there's a lot of bed and breakfasts that are still, you know, they, they embrace the haunting and you can visit there. So, you know, there's a there's certainly a tourist aspect to this where it's like, hey, let's go there. It's a beautiful place. Mackinac Island, for instance, which has a lot of notoriously haunted parks. Have you ever been here yourself, Jonathan? I don't know. but uh... I've never been to Michigan now. Oh, okay. well, now there's a reason for you to come. Yeah, plus the $100,000. Well, yeah, that that is that is a good reason to come on. I always wanted to go, you know, to see Deerfield, Michigan, um, and I figured it would be a really nice place to come visit when it's 110 degrees down here. So, yeah, oh yes, yeah. that's a good time to come. Even our state capitol has a haunted story in here, where a painter and a roofer fell to their deaths, and they've been seen uh, wandering the staircases sometimes. So there's there's even a reason to visit our state capitol. But then also we found some fascinating things that we, we didn't know about. There's a, a bar called the New Hudson Inn, which is now the oldest continuously operating uh, restaurant in Michigan. And it was a stagecoach stop. It's been around since 1831. And when we went back there, we did something on it for a Grand River book. Well, when we went back there for this book, they had uncovered uh, a room that nobody knew about that they think was part of the Underground Railroad. And they actually found some items we have in the book, um, and it's on page 12, that some bottles and some things from uh, shoes. shoes hats, yeah. And they think it was a stop on the Underground Railroad, which makes that place even more fascinating. And there's a, 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 there was a place in the pillar where you could climb a ladder to a, a, to a, a room in the second floor that no one knew about. So, you know, obviously in an attempt to uh, uh, ward off anybody looking to cash in on the fugitive slave law. So it's fascinating what they've found. Yeah, and this all just keeps adding up to 
learn go hear ghost stories, learn history. Yeah, it just shows that it never and you know places that even have been around for such a long time. There's this hotel that the Purple Gang used to hang out at in Clare, Michigan. When things got too hot in Detroit, they go to this place called the Doherty that was built in the 20s. And very recently, we found that it they found a tunnel. Uh, in the basement that led outside. So if somebody was going after one of the purple gang, they could go run out this tunnel and no one would see them exit. So that's really fascinating. I'm assuming you've heard of the purple gang. I don't know. Um, that's one of the best selling titles in Arcadia. That's right. <laughs> Everyone loves a good mobster that's, story. That's, yeah. I haven't heard of the purple gang. Well, they were, <laughs> I hate to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> they were a famous mob in Detroit that was very colorful. They were always shooting each other. <laughs> and um, actually, one of them shot the other in this Doherty Hotel in the uh, in the bar. And there was a very famous shooting there. And so that made the Doherty Hotel very notorious. And that ghost is said to wander So is this Prohibition era, era when the Purple Gang was yeah, around? Prohibition okay. era. And the woman who, the wife of the uh, person who built the hotel, she used to wear gardenia perfume. And it's said when you walk around the hotel, all of a sudden you'll be overwhelmed by the smell of gardenias, just random spots in the hotel. That's another thing we love, ghostly smells, whether it's the cigar from the lighthouse keeper, the gardenia perfume of this woman. Sometimes you can actually smell these ghosts. Right. It's just another connection to a different time period. Yeah, yes, exactly. it is. And incidentally, the Purple Gang are the, is the group that they believe uh, did the uh, the St. Valentine's Day massacre for Al Capone? So they weren't the nicest people you'd ever want to run into. Because we're so <laughs> close to Canada, they would run liquor back and forth between Detroit yeah. and Canada. The whole Hiram Walker company started as Prohibition era liquor makers, but that's a whole nother story. That's a different book, right? Well, hopefully you will write that book for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, John and Gail, I appreciate you both joining us today, and uh, thanks again for writing such a neat book with places that are haunted and that have history that people can actually go into and maybe have a little experience of their own. I hope so. We invite everybody to come to Michigan and to reach out to us with any questions. We're both former tour guides ourselves, so we're happy to give people tours, and um, we'd love to talk to people, so we hope. We hope um, people come here and not get too scared and enjoy it. All right, everybody, you heard him. You have a personal invitation from John and Gil. To come, <laughs> come to the Mitten State. We've got a lot to offer. Come get your $100,000. <laughs> but if they heard about it from here, they have to split it with us. Exactly. That's right. You get a commission. Arcadia gets a commission. Finder's fee. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you both joining me today. Thank, Thank you. you. We enjoyed writing this book very much, and we enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you. You have a good day. I want to thank John and Gail again for joining us, and thank you for listening. Remember, next week we continue our look at all things spooky, and you can find our ghost books as well as our other titles by visiting ArcadiaPublishing.com and by visiting your local bookstore. <laughs>